0: The city that
1: started it all. It's a beautiful day.
0: What a priceless goal that could prove to be.
1: He's going to unleash one.
0: Oh! Sheffield Wednesday celebrate. Really Billy Sharp, you do not leave that man unmarked in the box. Sheffield United have the lead. the latest football news from Sheffield and beyond. This is Shoe Football Forum.
2: A very good evening to you. Welcome along to Tuesday night's Football Forum here on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Amazon Music as well for the first show in March. Uh, Season is going on, isn't it? Uh, Joseph Hadfield here to guide you through the weekend's action. Uh, Josh Chapman and Connor Thorpe provide the analysis as always. Evening, gentlemen. Evening, evening. It's the show where we discuss the Blades and the Owls and there's all the big talking points from across British football as well. So here's what's on the agenda in the next hour. 21 and already bust. United's losing once more and the odds really aren't in their favour after losing 2-0 at the lane to Liverpool. A game of two halves, quite literally. Wednesday take three points and chuck them in the bin, going from two up to one down. In a madhouse for their fans, losing 3-2 at Luton. In the top stories as connor's cat gets involved a no-score snore draw on your sunday afternoon Chelsea and manu dish out a nil nil and with the non-league season being curtailed for the second time in two years we chat to the oldest football club in the world on that and their plans for the new stadium we also turn our attention to the midweek action as it's yet another double header on football forum with united up first hosting villa Then straight after, up the A61, you'll find Wednesday, Welcome Rotherham, who themselves will have come over the A61-02. As of the round of unpredictable, uh, Connor, well, is he still on top? Short answer, yes.
3: On Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music and on your smart speaker. Alexa, play Shoe Football Forum.
2: We are still Sheffield Hallam's number one football show. This is Football Forum. And it's live. So thanks for joining us for Football Forum here on this Tuesday evening or whenever it is that you're listening back to us, all four of us this evening. Um, and it is quiz question time. It's been a while and uh, it's my turn this week. Now, uh, for those of uh, people who follow United on Wednesday, uh, there have been uh, some stats going around quite recently of the combined season and uh, this being The second worst season for Sheffield United and Wednesday combined uh, in one aspect and the worst overall in other aspects. And the quiz question for this week uh, does concern United and Wednesday. In the 1975-76 season, United finished bottom of the old first division. Wednesday just survived relegation in the old third division. And what I'm looking for, gentlemen, is out of the 44 games that both United and Wednesday played away that's away from home so not Bramall Lane or Hillsborough how many games combined did they
1: lose in which season was that sorry the
2: 1975 76 season how many games combined did Sheffield United and Wednesday
3: lose I remember it well (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think we all
1: did. So so there was 44 away games between us, yeah?
2: 44 away games, correct. Because Wednesday played 23 and United played... 21. Oh, I'm to get my maths right. 21. They played 21, that's correct. Um, This is back when uh, the old First Division contained 22 teams, I think it was. Yes, it was because uh, United finished bottom. So that is your quiz question. Uh, funny you should know, because obviously uh, United, uh, Wednesday, in fact, they won the amount of uh, away games in that season and the answer was naught. So uh, so there's thinking for you. Uh, and we will give you that answer at the end of the show. And uh, cracking on with the action, we're going to start with United this week because, well, uh, it, it goes from bad to worse and then even worse for United at the moment. Rock bottom of the Premier League. I, I've said this intro... About, I must have said it about 20 times so far this series, but United, yep, 20 defeats in the Premier League so far this season, and they had Liverpool to contend with next, but obviously Liverpool in equally bad form with the amount of injuries they'd racked up. United, well, would this be a chance for three points or maybe even one, even though they pretty much knew where they're going to be heading come May? commentary at Bramall Lane comes from Andy Giddens.
0: Then Trent Alexander-Arnold shoots blocked on the edge of the penalty area by Norwood at point-blank range and then Alexander-Arnold smuggles his way to the byline shooting chance as Liverpool fire the ball into the bottom corner and it's Curtis Jones who was just there to arrow in the shot past Aaron Ramsdale. The Sheffield United players immediately went to the match officials to complain. They are questioning, I assume, whether the ball went out of play but the match official John Moss has turned to the penalty spot and gone no the goal stands Is Firmino dropping his shoulder left and then right and then Jones back to Firmino on the edge of the box lovely build-up play Mane takes the challenge to Firmino beats two still going Firmino and the deflection beat Ramsdale who committed to make the save one way but it went the other and Bobby Firmino has scored for Liverpool against Sheffield United as the reigning champions make it 2-0. So Sheffield
3: United there up against Liverpool. Connor has the details. Yeah, it was Sheffield United's 21st defeat in 26 games and it's just a miserable season that continues to go from bad to worse really. But they were always going to be up against it against Liverpool And, you know, without Chris Basham, Jack O'Connell and John Egan, it's the first time that those three have been ruled out since United won promotion to the Premier League. So it was always going to be difficult. And Liverpool have had injuries themselves, but they still called on the quality of Sadio Mane, Mohamed Salah and Roberto Firmino in their front three. Uh, But it was a midfielder who opened the scoring in the second half after Aaron Ramsdale kept the blades in it before the break. Curtis Jones got on the end of a Trent Alexander-Arnold pull-back to give the visitors the lead after 48 minutes. And the points were she- sealed shortly after the hour mark when Roberto Firmino's effort cruelly went in off a keen Brian deflection. Here's what Chris Wilder had to say.
4: It's still Liverpool. I'm disappointed in the goals. You know, catalogue of they go with the catalogue of poor goals that we've conceded. You can't afford, uh, you know, self-inflicted goals and it's it, there's a tackle to be made and there's a decision that... that that should have been made, and and obviously they've took advantage of that. Um, the second goal, we've got enough bodies around 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 the ball to make a to make contact, and, and, and we haven't, and it's deflected. And yeah, we have created a, a, a couple of bits. I, I think it'll. As I've said before, um, it is Liverpool. We're never going to have. 55, 60% possession. It's never going to be this new one, is it? Expected goals. That you know, you, you know, they've had. We'll have more expected goals than them. It's always going to be a tough game for us. If we're absolutely flying, if all my best players are at the top of the game, which are not, and we've got um, uh, a settled side um, that's playing um, with a consistency, which obviously we, 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 we've not, but we've still made it. Interesting. We still made it tight at times, and we still had opportunities to to get something from the game. So,
3: chappers, another defeat for United. I suppose if you look at this one in isolation, you're always up against it, and I suppose you can't be too critical. No, um,
1: you know we all know the uh, the kind of qualities that Liverpool possess. It was in, it, well, it was it was an interesting one going into the game, form-wise. I think we were actually above Liverpool in the form table. I think we were 18th and they were 19th on one of the last times that I looked. So that was one of those that you didn't really expect um, to see. Um, but, you know, Liverpool had been in, in a dire run of form recently, but obviously then we came along and they probably gift, well, gifted them three points. Another, for me, another mistake. First goal, we all stand watching because we think the ball's gone out from Alexander-Arnold. And regardless of whether... Whether you think it's gone out or not, United have got to play, learn to play to the whistle. Similar situation last season when we played Newcastle at home um, and we were all expecting an offside flag that never came. We all stopped playing and um, I can't remember who was it, when to put it in. Was it Shelby? Or, I can't remember who it was, actually.
3: Um, I think it was Shelby, yeah.
1: Yeah, you know, we, we've got to start playing to the whistle and whether we thought it went out or not, that's a bit, you know, completely irrelevant in the grand scheme of things. But we all stood watching. Curtis James, great finish, bottom corner. Yeah. Um, not a great deal you can do about that. Second goal, yeah, like you say, it's a cruel deflection off Kian Bryan, who I actually thought played quite quite well um, in the most makeshift of makeshift back threes that you could possibly get of Ethan Ampadu, Phil Jagielka, 38-year-old Phil Jagielka, who is, is now affectionately known as, you can't just call him Phil Jagielka anymore. Um, and uh, Kian Bryan, who, like I say, I thought played well. Um, unlucky deflection. Um, and one that, did actually cost the goal because replays showed that it was uh, it was going wide from Firmino, wide of the far post. Um, but, yeah, a disappointing evening overall. A game that I didn't expect to win or even get anything out of, but it's just very depressing just watching your team constantly
3: lose week in, week out, as I'm sure you can testify when you're watching a Wednesday play away, Connor. Well, yeah, absolutely. I suppose we'll, we'll come to a positive now before maybe tackling a few negatives. Uh, mm. Aaron Ramsdale... Has turned it around in recent weeks for United. Again, he was in good form. He made some fantastic saves in that first half. It was just Ramsdale keeping Liverpool out and keeping the scores level. To be fair, um, how do you, what do you make of his progress after coming under quite a lot of criticism earlier this season?
1: Yeah, Chris Wilder alluded to that earlier in his in his press conference um, ahead of tomorrow's game against Villa. Um, that Ramsdale's he has took quite a bit of hammer this season and rightly so. Um, I think both Ramsdale Wilder and players and fans alike probably recognise that the hammer uh, Ramsdale's took has been, has been fairly valid. Uh, But, you know, in in recent weeks, he has played a lot, lot better. Um, His shot stopping has been a lot better. He's, he seems to have started commanding his area a little bit more. Um, And I don't really know what it is that's changed him, to be honest. I think he, he spoke after the game on, uh, on Sunday and said that whilst you know start of the season he was getting you know he was hearing a lot of negative things he's been trying to push those out of his head um, and really just concentrate on his game. But yeah, he made some excellent saves on on Sunday night. Really did, like you said, kind of kept us in it really first half. Um, not that I thought United defended particularly badly, uh, but you know what Liverpool are like going forward—they get the break so quickly and they get in behind you in an absolute flash. And when you've got 38-year-old Phil Jagielka centre half. Um, you know, it's always going to be a bit of trouble against players like Mane and Firmino. Um, but yeah, made some excellent saves first off, really did keep us in it. Um, And, you know, continued that into the second half, couldn't really do anything about either of the goals, uh, especially the second goal. You know, you can't really do a great deal about deflection like that, which has completely altered the course of the ball. Um, but yeah, played well. And, and hopefully you can, you know, carry on that kind of form to, to, to the end of the season it'd be nice for him to get a couple more clean sheets obviously they've been very few and far between this season only I think he's only got one in the Premier League this season which is uh, not a great record probably not helped at times by the amount of individual mistakes that United have made this season um, or collective mistakes you know not helped by the players in front of him but yeah he'll be hoping that he can pick up some more clean sheets um, up until the close season.
3: I suppose United were never going to stop Liverpool creating chances when you look at, like you said, the back three that was available, the front three that Liverpool have got and just the way that United have defended as a team this season. But I suppose one thing from from the outside looking in that I thought United could have done a bit more of, I every time that the ball sort of went up in the air to McBurney, the ball went in behind, I thought Kabak and Phillips looked a bit nervous. Do you, do you think that if Ollie Burke had started, it might have been a little bit of a different story? I'm, I mean, I'm not trying to say he's the best footballer in the world, but just that pure pace running in behind, being able to stretch that defensive line, sort of little and large, not little and large, but large and quick combination between McBurney and, and Burke really causing them a lot of problems because it, it had to be ultra direct from Sheffield United to be able to cause Liverpool problems, I felt.
1: Yeah, it wasn't a game where United could really play through play through the thirds um, and take advantage of some of United's passing range that we, we have seen in recent, well, short passing range that we've seen in recent seasons. It was never going to be that kind of game. And I think you're right. That game for me was crying out for an Oli Burke figure. He did eventually come on um, in the second half, but it was just a little bit too little too late. And I think that's been my one criticism of, of United in recent weeks, uh, of many, admittedly, that... I think while this team selection and and tactical choices have been a little bit questionable at times, and I think it was, it was evident against Liverpool on Sunday, we didn't really start playing until we, until we conceded, Um, you know, we set up in a way where we were clearly, you know, trying to limit Liverpool and, you know, try and stay in the game, which I can understand against, you know, against Liverpool, against the champions, I, I, I get that, but, you know, to only then start playing and start causing Liverpool a few issues after you've have gone behind, then I just, I don't really understand that. Like you say, you've got two young lads at centre-half. Cabak's only played, was that his second or third game? Obviously, had an absolute horror show against Leicester. You um, you got Adrian in goal, who has been known to throw a goal away every once in a while. Um, and I just thought it was a prime opportunity to, like you say, send those long balls forward, get McBurnie underneath him, who I, th- I thought actually did that quite well throughout the game on Sunday night and get Burt to chase onto him. We saw it when Burt came on that he was getting in behind so easily and he makes it look so effortless to get past players at times. Um, And I just didn't really understand why that didn't happen from the outset. Uh, But like I say, that's my one criticism, main criticism recently. I've been a bit critical of, of Wilder's team selections and tactical choices. And I think that was just another example of that.
2: So, Sheffield United, there with their, as Connor says, 21st Premier League defeat of the season in only 26 games. It, uh, as I say, there is only one place that Sheffield United are heading, and Chris Wilder himself has even said that they are heading for the Championship. I mean, after the, uh, after the game, he did say there is a lacking quality, and uh, that's
4: why. Our model is 17th in the division at best our model uh, is, is is trying to buy the best championship players this is honest me talking honestly about it and um, and be one of those clubs because of the gulf and what it takes to be uh, an established Premier League club um, debt for squad everything that goes with it we, we, we're, 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 we're trying to we're trying to improve uh, you're trying to improve on the job you're trying to improve prove in a Premier League season, um, you look at our, our our team out there. You look at our bench, and you know, just say you look at Newcastle's team and bench uh, last night. That obviously, you know, it uh, you know, has quite a lot of teams having a struggle with it. Um, and you see the bench, and you see experienced Premier League players. And uh, it's difficult to to, look, to learn on the job when when you haven't got that, haven't got that quality. We set up to, to buy the best championship players, um, which, which, we, which we felt we have done. And if we do take that drop, then we have to regroup and, and come again, which I'm sure we will um, next season.
2: United still rock bottom on 11 points and attention does turn to Aston Villa, which we will look ahead to uh, in a little bit. But for now, that wraps up Sheffield United.
0: Bringing you the latest football news from Sheffield and beyond. This is Shoe Football
2: Forum. This is Football Forum here on Spotify. Much appreciating your company. So, United's done it. It's over to Wednesday now, who uh, themselves find, find themselves in a bit of a dire state, shall we say. Uh, still in 23rd position in the Championship. Uh, and they travelled to Luton, who uh, can be a bit of a banana skin. And in all honesty, their away form had not been of brilliance of recent, shall we say, for Sheffield Wednesday. Out of the 16 games they've played away so far this season, they've only avoided defeat in five of them. So the odds were stacked against them. Let's find out how they did. And uh, you should recognize a familiar voice on this commentary, because it's me. Oh, what's he done there? He's given it away. Here's Patterson. Plays it into Windass? Wednesday have the lead? Ball played into the middle. Comes out to just Windass. What a hit. And it's 2-0 Wednesday. Dewsbury Hall with the corner, and it goes to Naismith. And Luton have a goal back, it's 2-1. Bit of a slip there. Luton can take this down now. Adebayo is on the left flank. Plays it in towards Tunnicliffe. It's 2-2, they've leveled the game. And Luton with a real chance now. Here's Kornick. He'll find out a And Luton have the lead! Four minutes to go! Wednesday have thrown this away! So Luton Town there up against Sheffield Wednesday and uh, Chappers can talk us through it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, The Owls looked like they were on course for a much-needed three points, but bad defending cost them. And it was Luton who came away victorious uh, as the two sides met at Kenilworth Road on Saturday afternoon. Josh Windass gave Wednesday an early lead when Callum Patterson capitalised on loose hatters playing out from the back. He pulled it back across the face of goal and Windass was there from close range to smash in past Simon Sluger. And he nearly made it 2-0 when he raced away from Matt Pearson, but he lifted his curling effort over the bar of the Russian uh, Sluger um, and the, goal, uh, the, rem- the score remained at 1-0. However, he did double Wednesday's lead when he smashed a half volley in from 15 yards out after Tom Lee's missed the ball initially uh, as he tried to head it. A great finish, nonetheless, to make it 2-0 to get his and Wednesday's second of the afternoon. Now, the tide turned early in the second half and the Hatters were level within minutes of the restart. Smith peeled away from his marker from a corner and he diverted the ball uh, from the front post into the far corner. Just shy of the hour mark and it was all square. Luton won the ball back deep in their own half, but within one pass down the channel, they were level with the Owls' 18-yard box. Ryan Tunnicliffe left Matt Penny miles behind as he smashed in from close range after Elijah Adebayo pulled it back for him. And four minutes from time, the turnaround was complete. Adebayo turned scorer from provider as Wednesday's slight defending gifted Luton the win. Harry Cornick lifted a lovely ball from the right hand side to the back post. And Adebayo was unmarked to nod past Wildsmith and wrap up three points for the Hatters. 3-2 3-2 it finished and here is what Neil Thompson had to say.
5: We just, yeah, we just went into our shelves for some reason. Um, they did uh, what we did to them first half, they did to us second half. You know, we, we we had a great reaction first half, should be four up maybe at half time. And then the scrappy start, um, we'll give away, you know, the goal, the first one, a set play, and the other one we've had control possession uh, or we should have in there after the pitch, give it away and we've gone and um, not trapped runners or dealt with the crosses into the box. Uh, yeah, and then, yeah, it's, um, it's uh, yeah, tough one to take. I've, I've got a fair both have. It's as good as we're, probably what we've been all season. You know, we we played a lot of energy, uh, um, created a lot of good chances. You know, Josh Windus was a constant thorn in their side, and, you know, we had one or two other chances, and, yeah, I mean, you know, probably half-time came too early for us, uh, but... You know, it, it is what it is going to take it on the chin. It's a real tough one to for everybody. Uh, yeah, hugely disappointing. Neil Thompson there talking
1: after his side's 3-2 defeat away at Luton Town. Before we talk about the game, though, some big news, which uh, kind of caught uh, us on the hop yesterday. Um, something that we didn't really expect. So Sheffield Wednesday have a new permanent manager, um, and it is Darren Moore. Uh, he's joined Sheffield Wednesday from Doncaster Rovers, um, who, were, who were doing really well in League One. Uh, but he has chosen to to make the step up to the championship and to the Owls. Uh, and Connor, one that like I say caught us a little bit off guard yesterday, it all seemed to happen very quickly. Uh, what are your thoughts on on Darren Moore's appointment?
3: Yeah, well, I'll try and keep it fairly brief because we are going to dedicate a full episode to it, which you can find tomorrow if you're listening on th- on Tuesday. Um, I'm happy with it. I was very surprised. I just I think the I think Joe Cran from the Star tweeted it in early on uh, yesterday morning. Then it was confirmed about 10 minutes later. Um, so, usually you get an inkling to these sort of things, but it just didn't happen like that. Very surprised that we've managed to tempt somebody away from a League One promotion push. Not that I was, not that Doncaster were in a great position to go up. I think they had a chance, but obviously they were on a bad run of form. They were sixth in the league. I do think there's more chance of us staying up than them going up because uh, the, obviously the gap's only six points, despite the justified doom and gloom. Uh, But I think it's a very un-Sheffield Wednesday appointment, which is a good thing. We've got to be doing something that we haven't been doing in recent years. He's obviously a fairly young manager, seems to get his teams playing on the front foot, decent attacking football. And I suppose the the plus point is, despite being pretty young, and he's not one of those off the old scrap heap that go round and round, his career trajectory can still go on and up. Um, I think he's learning more and more, but in his short time, he's actually got experience of guiding a team, not to safety, but a team who were in a much worse position than us, 10 points adrift in the Premier League, losing one of the next six or seven games, I think it was, winning three. He'd actually doubled West Brom's win uh, wins tally in that short space of time. So he's got experience of coming in to a side completely low on confidence, managing to turn it around. And although he didn't keep West Brom up, if he does a similar sort of upturn with Wednesday, that, that should keep us up because we're six points away and there's more games to do it over. Um, then the other side is he's got championship experience with West Brom. OK, he had a really good squad and didn't didn't look like he was going to take them up. But he did a, a reasonable job. Can probably say it was a little bit harsh that he got sacked. Maybe should have been able to see the season out there. Um, although Slavman Bilic coming in was, was obviously the right move in the end. Um, And also he's got experience in league one. If we do go down, I think that's going to be the key thing. If we get relegated, I think we've got to stick with him. We can't change manager again. And for all that I'll criticize Chan Siri, one of the completely false narratives that's been so widely accepted recently is that Chan Siri is a trigger happy chairman because he's not, he's only sacked one manager earlier than you'd expect you think of Gary Monkey gave him plenty of time. He gave Yosel Hukai plenty of time. And he gave Carlos plenty of time as well. Um, and fans were actually calling for those three to be sacked a lot longer uh, before than, than they actually did. So I think he will give him next season, as long as it's not a complete disaster. Uh, I think that's got to be the way forward, because if, if, he, if we do go down, I think you'd back him to be able to get us into a promotion challenge for next season.
1: Upbringing us back down to earth with a bump, uh, Luton obviously on Saturday, 3-2 defeat in the end and Connor, game of two halves, let's start on the first half.
3: Excellent, fantastic performance, we look like a top six team, um, creating loads of chances, high intensity football, um, stopping Luton from coming out of their half and um, getting attacks against us by counter-pressing really well, getting in the face and um, looked, I thought, is he Brown? Came on, added uh, sorry, started for the first time since I think it's September, the end of September when he got that injury. Um, and he made us look a much better football inside. He took a lot of the creative burden away from Barry Bannon, and um, excellent to go in 2 0 up at half time.
1: However, that didn't necessarily continue into the second half, did it? As I say, you know, five minutes into the second half, uh, Luton had pulled one back just shy of the hour mark, they pulled. Another one back and level it up, and then conceding on late on like you did, um, ended up coming home empty-handed. Completely different, wasn't it?
3: Well, yeah, and I, I actually watched the the second half back because I was going to do um, an analysis on it for my blog, but then we appointed Darren Moore as manager, so I'm not going to bother because there's you know I'll probably wait till Thursday morning uh, to do that. Um, yeah, I, it was it was an absolute. Collapse. I think it's whether you put it down to mental weakness, fatigue. I don't really know, to be honest. I think that's probably something you'd have to ask the players. But um, it just seemed like we conceded at completely the wrong time. You know, the the second half, although it was five minutes in, I think the ball had been in play for about two minutes because Windas got down injured. And conceding then, it just completely swung the game from a position of comfort to a position of, oh no, we've the game's completely swung on its head and it was Luton's first chance really. And it was a nothing, nothing chance. It was a ball to the front post. Naismith gets a nice touch on it. I think we switch off. I think there's probably an element of blocking in there from the Luton players as in, you know, good um, set piece, setup. if, you know, for, forgive me for that phrasing. that's not very good, but, you know, it made it difficult for us to track the runner. Naismith got a touch on it. And then it's fine. You'll concede a goal in a game. You've got to react to it a lot better than what we did. And, it seemed that they were they became more direct. Obviously, they made the, the triple sub, and it involved bringing Rudder kempanzu on, who I thought had a really big impact on the game. And obviously, Adebeo was was fantastic in that second half. I just thought they went more direct. They got more men around the, the ball, um, more more men into the final third, and we just made little mistakes that escalated into bigger mistakes, and then the doubt started to creep in, and all of a sudden. Like a whiz, it was 2-2. Um, two two after 58 minutes. Really slack marking. I think you quite I don't like calling out individual players on this. Um but you've really got a question, Matt Penny there. I don't know, and I and I think it's one of the most lazy cliches ever when people say, Oh, you know, he's he's not got a, he's not got any desire, not not trying. Because I, I don't think footballers go out to play badly. Um I know we had we spoke a lot about attitude last season, and I've and I've not really done that at, that much this season. But I think you look at that goal, you watch it back again. Barry Bannon sprinting back into the box to pick up one of their players, um, and Tony Cliff, the man that puts it in. Matt Penny either switches off or just doesn't bother to track him. Yeah, you know, I o- agree with that. I'm I'm yeah. hoping he's switched off. I'm hoping it's tired mind, tired body, because uh, it's that would be a lot more concerning if he just thought, oh, you know, I'll just let him go. I th- I'd like to think that he's switched off there, but it's cost us. And and from that point on, you want to see your team get back on the front foot and try and cause problems like he did in the first half, a bit like we did at Bournemouth when we conceded and we were sort of under the cosh a little bit, but then we got back on the front foot, got the winner. Um, Instead, we just kept sinking and sinking. Um, And I think, obviously, a lot of it is down to just a um, a lack of power at the back, I think. We just... Three centre-halves there, you should be able to deal with long balls coming up because you've got three centre-backs on the pitch. They're usually bigger than full-backs or whatever. Um, and we just didn't do that. And we allowed them to pick up the second ball. I think when we were winning as well, we talk about last season, We I gave Gary Monk a lot of stick for sitting back too much. It was completely the opposite against Luton. We kept making really reckless forward runs when we were 2-1 up or 2-0 up leaving ourselves exposed on the counter-attack. And then you've got a situation where Urigidi, for example, is exposed because Harris has pushed too far up. So then Urigidi has to come wide to deal with a threat and the back three is just completely pulled apart. That was a problem. And that's something that we need to address under Darren Moore. And I think you know, I think one of the first issues that Darren Moore's got to tackle is in-game management and making changes that will affect the course of a game. Nathan Jones made three changes at halftime that affected the course of the game, completely swung it in their favour. We didn't react to it well. When we're behind, we've not picked up a point all season. I'm not going to go into... I've said that. I've said probably that. said that for five episodes in a row. Um, And the problem is it it doesn't work the other way. The, The first goal in our game, it's not where we're not... Most teams usually will be terrible at coming back, but good at holding on to leads. Or well, they'll be terrible at holding on to leads, but good at coming back, because, you know, generally, you, you, you know, you tend to be the better going forward or better defensively. With us, if we if we score in a game, you know, the game's not over. If we if we score first, if we concede first, you know, the game's over, and that's a big problem. And I think, yeah, Moore's got a lot of work to do, and uh, it's going to be um, a, a tough one f- from this point, definitely.
1: Yeah, I just want to come back to that second... Well, the second and third goal. Matt Penny, I I fully agree with you. Tony Cliff wants that... Well, for me, wants that ball more uh, than Penny does. I don't really know what Penny's done. Like you say, he he could have just switched off. And if he has, then it's absolutely fatal because he's he's about two yards behind him anyway when he enters the box and then just stops. And Tony Cliff, well, you're on your own. You're in acres of space, but you spot, sunshine. Third goal, I thought... Was Sorry, potentially just as just as bad if, if not worse. You've got two players at the back post, one of which is Adebayo. Uh Kadeem Harris is absolutely nowhere to be seen. You've got um Uruguide and Che Dunkley marking the same bloke. You've got Bannon and Brown stood watching outside the area whilst Luton players are, you know, crowding forward to get in the box. And nobody's picking anyone up. And all you know, all Harry cornick has got to do is find one of the two free men at the back post, and it's an easy header, and you know. Good night of Vienna. And I just thought Wednesday, if you wanna if you want to be holding on to points, you can't be throwing goals away as easily as they did on, on Saturday.
3: But well yeah. I mean, the second one I've, I've looked at in a bit more detail. The third one, like you say, comes down to that lack of game management. I know we were drawing at the time. Um, and I I'm not for one minute advocating we put everyone behind the ball, especially when we're drawing, but you do the basics and pick your men up um the second goal like i say for penny does he switch off for a split second does he try and pass his man on to somebody else for that split second that just allows Tony cliff to get in ahead of him i'm just trying to think of all the reasons why he's done it instead of just saying he's not trying because that's always the worst thing you can say about a footballer and a lot of the time it's not true but only he knows that um but obviously it's not just Matt Penny, it's the whole team. And it's not just those three isolated incidents of the goal either. It was the, the way that the game just completely shifted from us in, us in command to uh, looking completely like a different team, looking like a, a relegation side. And I, I make no exaggeration, if you'd have watched that game without any knowledge of the teams, you'd probably think that Wednesday were going for top six in that first half we All the problems that I've said that we've had all season, lack of creativity, lack of being able to play the ball through the thirds with, uh, you know, on the floor and dragging defenders out of position and fluidity and nice interplay, it was all there in that first half. You know, it was the best half of football I've seen us put in since we beat Forest 4-0 last season and we were 4-0 up at half-time. It was that good, genuinely, absolutely battered Luton in that first half. I'm in the second half, just completely the, the other way.
2: So Sheffield Wednesday, there with uh, with a 3 2 defeat. And uh, because Chappers didn't fancy a go, I'm going to have a go. Um, with that 86 minute winner from Elijah. Anulu Wapo, Alu Wafaranmi, Alu Watomi, Alu Walana, Ayomikulaihin. Adebayo. Not bad. Very good. Uh, uh, which means that Sheffield Wednesday remain 23rd in the table. But obviously, they do have Darren Moore now as the new manager. And uh, there will be plenty of reaction to that with uh, with numerous... Uh people to speak to on that from a a Donny Rovers perspective, a West Brom perspective, and also Connor as well. But that's to come uh, very soon in your podcast provider. Wednesday's next task is the big one against Rotherham United tomorrow night, 23rd against 22nd and Darren Moore's first game in charge, and we will preview that in a little bit. Uh, but with United and Wednesday done, it's over now to our regional correspondent who has uh, all the latest from across South Yorkshire and North Derbyshire, including Darren Moore's final game as Donny Boss. And uh, it's over to Chappers with this week's Local
1: Roundup. Absolutely. And first of all, we are going to start in the Championship. Where else? I'm going to start with Barnsley and they are on an exceptional run of form at the moment. And that continued as they hosted at Millwall on Saturday. Cole Woodrow opened the scoring before, um, well, before you could even say go uh, two minutes on the clock uh, and Woodrow had opened the scoring there so he really is in fine form this season however shortly after Mason Bennett pulled one back for Millwall uh, and that's how that first half ended it 1-1 one, one at half time but the Reds went and won it through Michael Hellick just on the stroke of the hour mark uh, his goal uh, made it a 2-1 victory for Barsley that is now five wins in a row for Valerian and Ismail's side and they currently sit seventh in the championship table they're only one point uh, behind Bournemouth and do have a game in hand on them and Reading above them too uh, It's a great position for Barnsley at the minute staying in the championship and uh, Rotherham United while well, they played host to Reading high playing Reading at the New York Stadium at the weekend however it was a disappointing afternoon for poor worn side and uh, Michael Morrison scored the goals at uh, the game's only goal in the 26th minute as Reading wrapped up a 1-0 victory uh, away from home that result leaves Rotherham uh, without a win uh, in fact without a point in their last five games they've lost five games in a, a row now Rotherham uh, albeit some of them have been, have been well they've all been one goal score lines um, so very very close but five in a row that they've now lost uh, and they are currently five points adrift of safety but they do currently have two games in hand on Birmingham City who are the team above them uh, moving down into League One, and as you say, uh, Darren Moore's last game in charge uh, of Donny Rovers, or what turned out to be anyway, and it, uh, it was a disappointing one uh, in the end. Donny's form has really dropped off a, uh, dropped off a cliff of late. Uh, they were going great guns, but they've really started dropping some points recently. Uh, and that was the same story at the weekend. Alan Judge, uh, as sorry, as they travelled to Ipswich, Alan Judge opened the scoring in the 24th minute for the home side james norwood in the 54th doubled Ipswich's lead to make it 2-0 john taylor pulled one back at uh, four rovers in the 73rd minute but they couldn't find uh, an equalizer that's now five games without a win uh, for donny rovers andy butler has been placed uh into charge of the uh, first team until the end of the season and uh, he has the task of trying to maintain or pick up some uh, pick up some results they currently sit sixth in the League One table. They've got a few games in hand on teams above them. In fact, they've got four games in hand on Hull. Uh, they currently sit sixth, like I say, with 49 points, and they are two points inside the relegation. Sorry, inside the playoff spots. And finally, moving down into the National League, Chesterfield. Well, they travelled across the Pennines to Stockport, Stockport County, and uh, despite Chesterfield's incredible run under James Rowe, unfortunately, it did come to an end at the weekend. They were two-nil. Uh, they were beaten 2 0 Um, away at Stockport County Uh, James Jennings scored the uh, first goal in the 60th minute sorry, in the 59th minute and Alex Reid wrapped up a 2-0 victory for Stockport in the 80th minute, that result leaves Chesterfield, currently sitting 16th in the National League table but due to the congested nature they are only 7 points off the playoffs uh, and that was the first time that they'd lost in the league since the 5th of January so some excellent, uh, excellent form for Chesterfield but that did come to an end at the weekend as they lost to Stockport County. This is Sheffield
0: Hallam's number one football show. This is Shoe Football Forum.
2: Football Forum here on Spotify and uh, etc. Thanks for joining us. Now into the top stories and we're going to take a little bit of a break as uh, as we chat non-league with the world's oldest football club. The big news that came out in the last week or so was that non-league season for the second time in two years has been declared. Uh, well, has been ended early, shall we say? Uh, all the uh, the steps below um, below the national league, uh, shall we say? And uh, one team that it is affected uh, is our local side. Um, obviously, not United on Wednesday. A little bit further down uh, from Sheffield, but it is. Sheffield themselves. Everyone uh, now Sheffield United have been in the Premier League. Go on about calling Sheffield United Sheffield. No, that's not correct. This is Sheffield, the world's oldest football club. And uh, Richard Sheldon is the general manager of Sheffield FC and he joins us. Uh, Morning, Richard. Morning. How are we doing? I'm very well, thanks. Glad you are as well and great to have you with us on the programme. So first of all, uh, give us your thoughts on uh, the season being ended early, because as we've as we uh, as we've been doing a little bit of research, Sheffield FC, they weren't having the best of seasons, shall we say. I mean, they'd only played five games, if I'm right in saying, they'd only got six points from five games. Uh, I think it was third bottom of the table. Uh, but what what's your thoughts on the season uh, for the second time in two years, as I say, uh, being called uh, ended early?
6: Yeah, it was, uh, it's been kind of uh, in limbo for a, for a while now, um, so we played our last uh, competitive game in um, November and it's sort of been, we've been waiting since December, obviously we've had lockdown two and three um, in, in that time, so it's kind of just been, it's been a bit of a mess really, which we've kind of uh, all found ourselves in, in everyday life and you know economy and, and obviously football uh, has, has suffered as well certainly obviously from the elite level down um so it was a, it was great to get back going but there was a number of unknowns when we started this season um and again that's applicable to to everyday life um so you know obviously trying to make sure Safety was um, ensured from obviously for our players, staff, and also spectators. So it kind of went from um, sort of being in uh, again a, a limbo state in the first lockdown to you know all of a sudden um, we were we were given the green light to go again. Um, so everybody jumped um, on board and we worked hard to to get back going in the season. Uh, um, but as, as we started playing, as we found out. Obviously, uh, the pandemic was um, going a certain way with with obviously uh, the infection rate um, and, you know, obviously in a football environment, certainly at our level and below, you know, there's only a certain amount of resources available. And as we saw with the elite game, with, with obviously the testing that was going on, uh, no spectators we were left in this position where we could have spectators, which was great from a business point of view. We could have 400. Our first two games were a sellout. So we, we were really working uh, hard behind the scenes to try and uh, maintain safety for every, everyone, which was difficult. And then obviously from there, as you say, six games in, um, the season was, was suspended again. And... Uh, since then, we've done it. We did a vote with the other uh, Northern Premier League members and also the Trident League members, um, and it took around about twelve weeks to, to get that decision through. Um, which, as a club, we were we were in favour for um, stopping the season for a number of reasons. Obviously, uh, as you've probably seen, um, you know, clubs our level couldn't have um, pubs open, facilities open, you know. There was potentials for obviously no spectators, which wouldn't work for for our level. Um, And obviously there was, uh, you know, if we could have spectators back, there would have been potential caps, which just doesn't make it viable to run. Um, and, And sort of now we've got the decision that the season's over. It kind of allows us to adjust because while it was in a limbo state, obviously clubs are still having to, um pay out overheads and costs to to try and potentially return whether that be pitch maintenance um you know a number of things which obviously when you you've got no income coming in um and you you know you you need to adapt your business accordingly and and sort of put in emergency measures to to cook your, your expenditure so now we've got that we can adjust and we can sort of put in some emergency um actions to try and you know uh Support the cash flow of the club to get to the end of the financial year. We can also start planning for next season, which um, like I say, just just gives clubs some some closure.
3: Yeah, and I was gonna ask you about the, the uncertainty being the main problem, but I think you've pretty much answered it there that you know now you've got some certainty, that's that's obviously a good thing. So last year we had a similar conversation with your chairman, Richard Timms, about how will non-league football survive this. I don't think we really anticipated that nearly a year later that we'd be sat having a a similar conversation. We said at the time that non-league football is going to find it really difficult to survive. We're a year later and so far it has. Can you see it surviving, you know, maybe not just Sheffield FC, but, you know, clubs across the board. How confident are you that we're actually going to be able to keep clubs going through this? And is the government support there, do you think? It's a good question. I think as sort of
6: we prepare for a new season Um, and over the summer you possibly might see um, a number of clubs whether it's drop steps change accordingly obviously every club's different um, but one's things for sure and I'm pretty confident to say that certainly most clubs at our level will have been you know dramatically affected by all this Um, you know we've we've gone like you say we've played six games um, so we, we've lost out on, um, I think we've done three at home. So, we, you know, we've lost out on 17 home games worth of income. Um, and, you know, while we've not been able to generate that income, we, we still have to pay our overheads. Um, so, yeah, the clubs will be uh, severely affected. Um, we have had support in, in particular from, obviously, we've had the, the usual business support, which um, all businesses are entitled to apply, whether it be, um, some of the lockdown grants we've seen, um, you know, we've had kickbacks on his rates. Um, we have had support from the Football Foundation, um, which, again, has, has been available to all clubs at our, our level and below. And, um, you know, we've had a winter survival uh, package, which you've probably seen in the media, which the club has qualified for, which is, is vital and it's been a big help. But, you know, the, the, it's, the damage is severe for sure. And, you know, how, how clubs obviously to get through this financial year um, is one thing, but then you've obviously got to start rebuilding for, for another season. And it's probably at that point, clubs will be reviewing on, you know, how much damage has been done. And and the key thing is, is is how the clubs go forward and and how they operate, you know, and it's going to affect uh, budgets and, and um, you know, cutting costs and and how clubs operate as a whole. So it'll be an interesting sort of, um, you know, next three to six months to see how that landscape unfolds. Obviously I'm confident, you know, we'll return and and there'll be plenty of clubs at at this level, um, you know, and and below that still managed to keep going. Uh, And, you know, that's down to the great work of of obviously volunteers and and club employees and, and making it all tick. But I'm pretty confident the landscape will, will adjust uh, in some form or another, and we might potentially you know, see a couple of casualties with clubs.
2: Another bit of news that's come through uh, in the past couple of days regarding Sheffield FC is uh, this announcement that uh, they're planning to build um, a new 4,000-seat stadium. Um, it's a, Well, the, the plan is it's based at the Sheffield Transport Sports Club at the moment, which is uh, just off Meadowhead Roundabout. Um, now, Richard, tell us a little bit about the stadium proposals.
6: Yeah, so there's a lot of work going on behind the scenes. Obviously, we've, we've got to a position where um, we've been able to release them um, initial plans uh, for the stadium. Um, so, it, it, obviously, there's there's a number of things still to be done in in the background, um, and we'll be releasing future updates as, as we get them. Um, but obviously that's um, obviously what you've seen in, in the local press uh, and on the club's um, social media and comms is, is obviously the, the initial proposal, which I'm sure you agree looks great. And it will offer you um, obviously better facilities for the club. It, it allows us to try and look at other avenues, um, obviously to try and help the club become more sustainable. Um, but ultimately offer facilities for club and community use um, which which uh, is obviously massive and and you know we, we've got a number of facilities in Sheffield which, which clubs utilize so you know the more facilities you've got to to encourage um, people to get involved with the game and try and grow the game and promote health and well-being is the bet, is obviously uh, the idea behind it all and, and obviously allows the club to to try and go forward and, and expand its operations, really. So, yeah, there's, you know, there's like I say, there's still a lot of work to be done behind the scenes. Chairman uh, Richard Timms is is um, trying to knit, knit a lot of it together. Um, so, but yeah, we're we're hoping to to have a further uh, statement release sort of as we go on to into the year because there's still a couple of things to be dotted off. Um, before we can sort of, you know, get to that stage of releasing that announcement. But really exciting news for the club, for sure.
3: And obviously, you've been playing your football in Dromfield, well, since I've been able to watch Sheffield FC. I think my first game was 2009. I've been on and off, so I don't actually know how long you've been playing there, but it's long It's long enough for for you to feel a bit detached from Sheffield, I guess. How important will that be to be playing football back in the city again?
6: Yeah, I mean, John has been been great for the club. So the club bought the ground in, in two thousand and one, and as you know, you've been see matches there. And obviously, there's a coach horses where you can get a great pint. And you know, uh, the, the the ground's been great for the club. The, one of, one of the the slight issues we do have with with the ground um, is, is facilities, basically, and, and uh, the availability to to expand on that ground. Um, you know, so it's now no disrespect to Drumfield. We, we love where we are, um, but you you've kind of hit the nail on the head. The chairman and the club have, have had um, plans for a number of years to try and get back to Sheffield. Uh, and as funny as it is, even though literally on the border, and you know, one would probably say, you know, it it, it almost is the equivalent when you you know if you you're in Meadowhead and you come into a game, it's a mile up the road. Um, but yeah, I think it would be a nice. Um, thing for Sheffield FC to get back to Sheffield and, and, and be in the city uh, and obviously with with new facilities in the stadium it's it's a win-win situation for the club and, and hopefully we can you know re-engage with, with people in Sheffield that um, maybe for whatever reason and, and, and this is quite um, where we are currently sometimes even though there's not a great deal of distance the accessibility of of the club in Drumfield can sometimes be um, hard for people to get over, whether it's public transport. So we're hoping as well. Obviously Meadowhead's a good site. That there's good road connections and and, and more public transport available in, in that area. So we're hoping it can open up uh, avenues for us to to engage. Um, we, we've obviously. Potential supporters in Sheffield,
2: Richard. It's been an absolute pleasure to uh, to speak to you this morning. Really appreciate you uh, you joining us.
6: Anytime, gents. Anytime. Really good. Enjoyed it. Thank Brilliant you. Brilliant stuff.
2: Cheers. Huge thanks once again to Richard Sheldon uh, for joining us to speak about the non-league season ending early and that plan for that new four thousand-seat stadium. Uh, hopefully, fingers crossed, it all goes well for them. Uh, plenty more to come in just a second. Joseph Hadfield,
1: Josh Chapman, and Connor Thor. This is Football Forum on Shoe Radio.
2: You're with Football Forum for the latest edition of the programme. Much appreciating your company. So we continue with our look at the top stories by a look at the weekend's Premier League action. And, uh, well, it wasn't a great deal to to talk about, but we've, uh, we've managed to get two games out of it. And we are going to start on Sunday because... Well, Arsenal, the team that uh, were looking, were they going to get any European football next season? Everyone always went on about how Arsene Wenger constantly finished fourth and did no better. But Arsenal fans could only dream of finishing fourth now, but a 3-1 victory for them at Leicester City, who had a bit of an off day themselves. Harvey Barnes um, with a, a bit of a nasty injury as well, so maybe his season is over. Alexandra Lacazette scored the first from the penalty spot. Uh, sorry the second from the penalty spot should I say just before half time David Louise of all people uh, he scored the first with a header uh from William no less put in the assist and uh, then Bacaus uh, sorry Nicola pepe um adding a third uh midway through the second half so three one victory for less uh, for Arsenal and in all honesty Connor it was uh it was a game that uh, Arsenal have always struggled in in recent years, but uh, they made it look quite easy.
3: Yeah, they did. And, um, you know, after getting off to a, a really poor start with, you know, just completely ludicrous defending from Pablo Mari, uh, Vardy going into the box and Mari not recognising that it was his responsibility to close down Telemans, but but they got over that and uh, bounced back in, in very good fashion. I think this was a, a rare good performance from Willian. we've not really seen his best in an arsenal shirt i think that's being pretty kind to be honest he's not being a good sign sa- signing for them at all uh but i thought he from what i saw um in the game i thought he he came deep to link play with really well he broke the lines with his with his running and powerful running um and uh, Nicholas Pepe giving young Luke Thomas a bit of a torrid time in that first half before Thomas came off. Um, you've obviously got Smith Rose being in, in good form. You've got Odegaard coming on. You know, I, th- I thought it was a good performance from Arsenal and they, they dominated really, um, in, especially after that goal, like I said, and just looked by far and away the better team against the Leicester side who have been very good this season. But I mean, their injury crisis is is absolutely unbelievable. And I suppose that Arteta's now got a few more attacking options, hasn't he? You know, the likes of Lacazette, sorry, Aubameyang not even starting. You've got Odegaard coming off the bench, Martinelli being an unused sub. Um, Things have definitely picked up for the Gunners. I know they've been sort of up and down in recent weeks, but certainly, like every time I mention Arsenal, we we talk about the the pre-Christmas slump that they had, and it was... Very alarming. They look like one of the worst teams in the league week in, week out, but although they're still a mile away from where they want to be, um, I think Arsenal fans, you know, might have to accept that they're certainly not the team they they once were. Their squad is certainly better than where you'd put it in the table right now. You definitely think that their squad should be capable of challenging for the top seven, top six, a lot more closely than they have been. But Compared to where they were, they're moving in a much better direction now. Leicester, on the other hand, well, it just seems a bit like a a bit of deja vu from last season. Looked really, really good in that first half of this season and a a bit beyond that as well. Then they had a lot of injuries. um, Didn't really have the necessary depth to cover. And whilst they have got a lot more depth this season, the injury crisis this season's worse. I think they could be without 14 players for the Burnley game. And you just look at some of those names as well. Fafana, who's coming and done brilliantly, Wes Morgan, Evans hopped off at the weekend, Harvey Barnes, who I'm pretty gutted for, to be honest. I was hoping that he was going to be able to um, finish on a good run to end the season and maybe even get himself into the Euro squad. And with the way that he's going, the pace he offers, big shame for him. You've got James Justin and that is just, well, pretty, even though I'm not a Leicester fan, it's pretty heartbreaking to, to see a lad who's done so well for them, so versatile, again, would have been a good option for England he's done his ACL and who knows what kind of player he'll come back you've obviously got Madison Perez Pratt and then Vardy's not really fully fit at the minute and Pereira's just coming back they've had so many injuries and I think it was a performance that looked really jaded and they looked they lacked any sort of intensity I think the back line dropped off too much there was too much space for Arsenal to play and I looked at that and thinking why are Leicester not pressing why are they sat so deep and you've suppose you've got to sympathise with the situation they're playing, they've been playing Europa League games, there's not been the opportunity for rotation because there's been so many games with not many players fit and, it, and it's not going to get any better for them really, I've, you know, they've got Burnley coming up in midweek, I think that's going to be a really tough game despite Burnley not being in great form because of how many injuries they've got and how much you know, we talk about, Brendan Rodgers has got quite a, they play quite intense style of football, you know, they like to press and Maybe it's taken its toll. I don't know why the the injuries have come. And I suppose it is a lot to do with the season being so many games over a short space of time. But it's really difficult for them. And um, I just don't want them to fade away like they did last season. But I think there's a very good chance that that could happen.
2: Well, one team who's not fading away is uh, West Ham United. They did uh, fantastically so far this season. And uh, they did lose 2-1 at the weekend against Manchester City. Uh, but not a bad performance nonetheless. Run you through some of the other scores from the weekend. Villa with a 1-0 victory over Leeds, and it had to be Anwar El Ghazi with the goal. Um, We all remember uh, when he got that red card for uh, apparently headbutting Bamford, even though Bamford did what he does best and dives around rolling on the floor. Um, Newcastle United with a 1-1 draw against Wolves. West Brom in that bizarre game against Brighton with Lee Mason. Uh, giving a goal, blowing the whistle twice, giving it, not giving it. VAR giving it, not giving it. And uh, Brighton also missed two penalties. So uh, that shows their luck. Uh, Palace and Fulham with an open note on Sunday. We've already mentioned United's 2-0 defeat. Spurs with a 4-0 thumping of Burnley. Gareth Bale with a couple of goals as well. And then Everton, 1-0 victors over Southampton last night. And Chelsea, Man United, the big game of the weekend that we're all building up to. Chappers... And then it's a no-no.
1: Yeah, nil-nil. Um, and a game which really Chelsea did have quite a few decent chances to, to score. Um, and I think the main one came second half when Ben Chilwell looked like a man possessed down that left-hand side. Absolutely storming, run forward, pulls it back. Um, it's dummied and left for Zieck, And he absolutely rifles one. Um, but it's straight at De Gea and... I don't even know what De Gea saves it with, whether it was his shoulder or his chest or his arm. I don't, I don't even know, but a good save from De Gea kept him out, um, and a, and a good follow-up um, challenge from from Luke Shaw to block her, um an incoming shot. Um, but Man United, you know, defensively are are very good against top six teams and well, big six teams, I should say. And, and I'm I'm shaming, uh, unashamedly stealing this from Connor that in in Man United's last four Premier League games against big six size they've they've all finished nil nil they've obviously not conceded a goal admittedly I th- not i said one, i think
3: either. don't quote me on no that I, one, no, no 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 i did did check you it. did you research did it. it yeah nice i did one. Check it and you are right um <laughs> well, the four... one before i think they lost one nil and then the one before that they lost six one so i think that's probably a, a conscious call in it <laughs>
1: yeah yeah but those four games you look at arsenal when they played arsenal away that finished nil nil back at the end of january played liverpool away in the middle of January, as we all expect. Obviously, that finished 0-0, of course it did. Um, And then when they played Man City at home um, back in December, that finished 0-0 as well. So, defensively, Man United actually fairly solid against, uh, well, very solid against the big six teams. Um, Like I say, Chelsea had the better chances, um, but couldn't find find a way through. Now, Chelsea have only lost twice um, in the Premier League this year. So have Man United. So both teams in, in very good form. Thomas Tuchel seems to have... I don't want to say turn Chelsea around because I, I don't think they were doing overly badly before he came in. Um, but obviously, they, they drew um, against Man United at the weekend, drew the game before. So they've not won in a couple of games now. I don't think they'll be overly worried. Man United do love a draw at the minute. They've, they've drawn three of the last five, still sitting second. They're currently 12 points off Man City, who for me are, are this season's champions. Um, so I think for me, in the Premier League, it is currently the race for second. You've got Man United in second. Leicester in third, a point behind. Uh, and then you've got West Ham in fourth, who were only five points off, off Man United in second. And then you've got Chelsea, Liverpool, Everton, Spurs, all in there, um, all racing for the top four. So, yeah, nil-nil in the end, but I think Oli Gunnar Solskjaer will be very pleased with a
3: point and, uh, and a clean sheet from that one. If I could just jump in as well, sorry. I, I think Ollie, I think the way that Man United play in these games definitely suggests that Oli is happy with a point. And, um, you know, the... Jamie Carragher was doing a piece about it on Monday Night Football yesterday. They actually defended a lot higher than usual in in these games, but just on the ball. They didn't really want to take many risks. They didn't want to throw too many men forward. And uh, they seem to play a little bit within themselves in these games. And you do wonder that if they went hell for leather, how it had end up and it could have been a bit more interesting. Indeed. But,
2: yeah, uh... A point nonetheless for both Chelsea and Man United um, keeps up their respective uh, positions. And uh, as we say, Man United's record against the, the so-called Big Six is uh, is pretty alarming. Maybe they've sort of shut up shop after that 6-1 Spurs defeat earlier on in the season. Anyway, that's it from the top stories. And uh, there's plenty more football just around the corner because there is a full midweek programme across the Premier League and the Championship Doesn't happen very often, but it does do this week. We'll preview both United and Wednesday in the same night in the space of four hours. And that's the previews next.
0: Joseph, Josh and Connor. This is Football Forum only on Shoe Radio. With Football
2: Forum, here on Spotify and Apple and Amazon and what have you. And on to the previews. And we're going to start, who should we start with? Let's start with United because it is in chronological order. As we say, both taking place tomorrow night, Wednesday night, both in Sheffield. It's very, very rare this happens. But obviously with no fans at the ground, it's not like they're going to have any police trouble, are they? Um, So United up first and it is Aston Villa coming to the lane, six o'clock kickoff on BT and well chappers it's one of those games isn't it because you've got Villa in ninth United Rock Bottom and in all honesty this time last season it had been exactly the other way around because we were in those sort of pushing for Europe top half of the Premier League table they were battling relegation albeit not as bad as we are but at the end of the day it's just another game bare-bones squad as Chris Wilder said but we've just got to get through it haven't we
1: Yeah, we've got to get through it. And and I look at Villa's form and they are, the last five games has been the definition of of mixed form. They've won two, lost two and and drawn one. So they are in as mixed form as you could probably get. They had a good result against Leeds at the weekend. Um, I didn't really think Leeds looked particularly good in that game. I thought Villa did enough um, just, you know, to get get a 1-0 there. Obviously lost Leicester, lost to Leicester the week before, drew 0-0 against Brighton. So, like I said, they, they've not been in the best of form. Um, they're, they're obviously missing Jack Grealish. Um, Dean Smith said either earlier today or yesterday that he, he wouldn't be back for this game. And I think Chris Wilder is very glad about that after he said that, or well, you know, after how he sung Jack Grealish's praises um, in his pre-match press conference. And, I, you know, it's always a good thing when you don't have to play a, an excellent player like Grealish. Um, but I think it's another game where I'm not expecting us to get anything. I think it'd be quite tight. Um, but, yeah, I can't see us getting anything out of this at all. Um, and I think it'll just be another one on the way to confirming mathematical relegation. Um, so I'm going to go 1-0 Villa in this one. Um, I think they'll probably just do enough to, to scrape a win. We'll probably gift them a goal. Norwood or somebody will play an absolute hospital ball. And uh, Ollie Watkins will go and smash one in past Ramsdale. It's near post. Um, but apart from that, I think it'd be a, a lovely game. One nil villa,
2: one nil villa for Chappers. Um,
3: Connor, yeah, I'm going with the same scoreline actually. I think not having Grealish probably maybe knock, knocks a goal off that. I think it probably changes the game in some ways as well. It's you know, it's <laughs> I don't think any team is more reliant on one player than, than, than villa are and Jack Grealish. Yeah, I agree. Having said that. It's not just Jack Grealish that's a good player. You know, the likes of Traore, Watkins, McGinn, obviously really, really solid at the back. And that's been an unbelievable improvement from pre-lockdown to post-lockdown. The way that that defence has changed has been absolutely incredible. Fair play to Dean Smith for it. And I, I think they'll be able to keep a clean sheet at Bramall Lane. And they'll probably do what a lot of teams have done to United, just sort of edge past them. United sort of give it a go, but just come up short. And I think that'll happen again.
1: Well, I mean, Villa will definitely keep a clean sheet because for us to score a goal, it would mean actually getting up the pitch and keeping a bit of quality in the final third, which we haven't got. So Villa will <laughs> you definitely. You never know. You might you might sheet. score
3: from a set piece. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, no we matter how bad you are, you've always got half well. a chance.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, we might also concede from a set piece, which is probably more likely.
2: And <laughs> um, so one nils across the board for Chappers and Connor, as we say, United in twentieth position. Uh, Aston Villa City ninth, Wednesday, six o'clock kickoff on BT. And I was going to go 2 0. I'm going to join you. I'm going to go 1 0 as well to Villa because. He's
3: being influenced by the crowd. Oh, yeah, as a proper sheep.
2: Well, in all honesty, let's be fair. Anytime that we all go for the same fixture, it's not right. So I've knackered the three of us up anyway. But like we say, I don't think this is going to be a game that's going to be settled. I mean, let's be fair. We only lost two nil against Liverpool. Uh, usually it's just one goal that settles. I mean, we've lost 14 times this season by a single goal margin. So let's make that 15. Why not? Uh, so one nil Villa victory for me. And uh, from United, it's over to Wednesday. And as soon as uh, United are about sort of 85 minutes in, uh, a few miles up the A61 at Hillsborough. Sheffield Wednesday will be kicking off on the rival broadcaster Um, as Rotherham United have uh, trekked over across the M1. Darren Moore's first game in charge. Uh, It is a real basement battle, 22nd against 23rd. And in all honesty, we've said this in the last week or so, this is, and even more so now that it's Darren Moore's first game in charge, absolutely bleeping massive.
3: Yep, it is. Um, as big as you can get when there's no fans there, which completely devalues everything. But in within the context of this season, it's a massive game. with To be fair, within the context of our future as a football club, it's a massive, massive game. Um, it's difficult to... It's, it's impossible to predict, really, when a, when a manager comes in and I think Paul Warren alluded to it in his pre-match press conference. You don't know what system we're going to play. Um, you know, you don't know what sort of fo- style of football Darren Moore is going to try and play, which I think can only suit us, really, um, because I think we everybody knows what style of football Paul Warren's Rotherham are going to play. They're going to pressure high. They're going to be aggressive. They're going to be physical. And those are the teams that we've really struggled against this season. You look at the second half against Luton. The fact that they brought more power onto the pitch and that swung the game in their favour, and that is what I worry about against this Rotherham team. And I, I'm, it's so difficult. If you you know we think about what Darren Moore, if, if I try and predict what Darren Moore is going to play, based on our conversation with uh, Liam Hoden today, um, who, who was a Doncaster writer, and you'll hear more from that in the in the Darren Moore special. But he's pretty loyal to his four two three one. He'll play a a deep line playmaker and then somebody a bit more aggressive next to him. Now that player would probably be Luongo. I I get the feeling it might be Sam Hutchinson and and Bannon playing as sort of a double pivot, maybe with Izzy Brown playing in the uh, more attacking position. I think he's got this reputation for playing attacking free-flowing football. And whilst it might not be possible to do that in a relegation scrap, I've said it all along, Wednesday's problem has been creating chances all season. Um, apart from funnily enough the first half against Luton where we created loads of chances so I think if that's the way that we're going to I think that's we've got to be able to we've got to start creating more chances more consistently so why can't the focus be on being a bit more attacking minded and trying to play on the front foot particularly against a team who are also struggling down at the bottom Um, but the problems that we've had aren't just magically going to disappear I don't think anybody can be under the illusions that because we've got a new manager who was a a pretty rugged centre-half back in his day, that we're all of a sudden going to be able to handle physical challenge of the likes of Michael Smith and the long balls up to him and the second balls that get picked off by someone like Matt Crooks, who's also a pretty big lad as well. Set pieces are going to be tricky. Um, I'm going to go straight down the middle and go for a 1-1. I think that's probably a bit of a cop-out, but it's so difficult to predict a first manager, a manager's first game in charge. I think, I think with Tony Pulis as well, you kind of knew what he was going to do. But Darren Moore, I think it could be a little bit different because we saw him going at West Brom. He Played one way and then he changed the season after. So it depends. He'll, he'll, he's got a. There's got to be a, an element of pragmatism as well. You want to play your style, but you've also got to see the limitations of the squad that you've got and decide on a style that's best for them in the short term. And that's going to be the thing that keeps us up.
2: Indeed. Uh, well, Connor goes 1-1 in terms of score prediction. And that's quite annoying because I hadn't seen his score prediction and I've joined him. I've gone 1-1 as well. Um, like you said, Connor, um, it's first game. You don't know how he's going to set up. And let's be fair. Rotherham thumped you 3-0 back at the New York uh, earlier on in the season. I don't think it's going to be like that this time because the thing under Darren Moore, well, we don't know how he's going to play, but you potentially look to... Well, he, we were obviously in the press conference when he was unveiled yesterday and he said that he was more... He wanted to um, extract the maximum in terms of potential from every player as he's done at Donny and uh, and at West Brom and at previous. So I think you've got a good manager and it pains me to say it, but I think you have got a good manager as long as Day Chan Siri keeps him in the job and lets him do his stuff for long enough. Uh, but one, one for me uh, it is on Sky Sports action. If you want to watch it at seven forty-five, 45 uh, chappers.
1: Uh, I'm actually going to disagree with both of you. I think Wednesday going to win this. And I purely think that because of the, uh, Famous new manager bounce, new manager syndrome. Um, I think, yeah, I think Wednesday are going to turn up and, and, and turn Rotherham over here 2 0 for me. Um, not that I think that's going to happen every game, um, but I think new manager syndrome will definitely come into play here. Uh, and Wednesday are going to win 2 0. Two
2: nil for Chappers to Wednesday. Uh, Chappers has been very optimistic about uh, a Wednesday victory, um, but with United, because we and- keep
3: losing superstition for a minute. <laughs> yeah, that's true.
2: Fair enough. Um, but there is, as we say, plenty more football around the corner, and that means plenty more football for them as well.
3: That mountain that they need to climb is getting steeper every week. I honestly, I, I think we're in big trouble. It's rotten.
1: To the core, to be honest. It's not a good time to be a Sheffield United fan. 2-1 defeat away at the Connor Conor Figen. I don't know
2: where Vigan, that come I'm from. Tight. the
1: biggest guess.
6: Oh, morning, mate. Alright. Cheers, Cheers, guys. Joseph
2: Hadfield. Oh goodness me. So basilia
3: <laughs> Josh Chapman. Oh wow, it was awful. Connor thought it was uh, an absolutely massive win. Cardin already. <laughs> Card- Card- wow. Cardin already. Can't <laughs> believe I've just said. <laughs>
2: We are still Sheffield Hallam's number one football show. This is Football Forum.
0: Thursdays from 5.15. Only on Shoe Radio.
2: Yes, Football Forum back uh, on Thursday, funnily enough, uh, because we can bring you action on Thursday. We don't know if it'll be a full show or two half hours, but but be sure there will be Football Forum in some way, shape or form. Right, on to another round of Unpredictable then. And uh, before we crack on, Uh, Let's have a look at how we did last week. And, well, uh, hold on, let me get it up. That would help. And, uh, well, it wasn't a good week for me, was it? Because uh, after only having four points on the board until United's game on Sunday night, I thought, oh, we are in trouble. I get a five-pointer, but it doesn't help things because both of you two have managed to get double figures this week. Uh, I have got nine points. Uh, Connor has got 10 points, so it was close indeed. Uh, but Chappers is once again this week's winner with 11. Once again,
1: excellent. That's what we like.
2: He had no points for for a week, and then he stormed back with 22 in two weeks. Although Connor, you didn't do too badly yourself. Five two pointers out of seven, so that's pretty good. Um, but it means the scores on the doors after 24 rounds are as follows. Uh, Chappers, you are still last, but uh, you're on 147. You've hit a maximum break.
1: I'm, I'm coming. I'm you are. catching up.
2: Uh, I am on 178 in second and the gap that was closing up has now stretched out a little bit and it is nine points. Connor has a lead of 187 as we go into round number 25. We've hit the quarter century uh, for this evening's games and it is tomorrow night's games and Thursday night as well. Uh, so in fact, we won't know the answer of unpredictable on Thursday's show. So that'll be interesting. And, um, But we've done United on Wednesday and we'll continue that theme in the championship uh, because Norwich City are taking on Brentford. It is first up against second and uh, a six o'clock kickoff for this one on uh, tomorrow night, I should say. It's literally on right before um, Wednesday against Rotherham. Um, Sky Sports action for this one and uh, Chappers, we'll start with you.
1: Um, I think, wait, the, the thing with Brentford is it really does depend on which Brentford team turn up, doesn't it? Um, and, you know, Norwich are going great guns at the minute. They've, they've won their last five, if not more than that, but they've definitely won five in a row. Brentford did go through a bit of a sticky patch. They lost three in a row, but they have, they've come back and, and won their, their last two. Uh, I'm going to go Brentford on this one and I'm going to say 2 1 Brentford.
2: 2 1 Brentford for Chappers. I should correct myself. It's half five kickoff. Uh, tomorrow night. Uh, Connor.
3: Yeah, I think this is um, a game with two very, very good attacking side and two really good defences. Although to be fair, Brentford's defence hasn't been as quite, quite secure this season. And I suppose they have got injuries, but uh, kind of going away from the point there, I think it'll be a one, one. I think it's difficult to, uh, to separate these two. Norwich have been, fantastic five in a row like chap has said they'd actually hit a bit of a snag before that they actually lost uh, they went three games without winning lost losing to swansea and drawing two games nil nil so um you know they've both sort of recovered from little blips and uh, i think it'd be a, a really good game um is this one tomorrow did you say or is it tonight it is tomorrow oh, that's annoying that's annoying because i'd like to watch that but obviously well, it's on before it's on before uh Ooh. wednesday Right, okay. Well, I might have to watch that at the same time as United then. Um, I'm going for a 1-1, yeah. A 1-1
2: for Connor, And uh, I'm going for the complete opposite to both of you. I'm going to go 2-0 Norwich because, well, Norwich are seven points clear at the top of the championship for a reason. Brentford have looked a bit shaky in recent weeks. And, uh, I mean, they've missed Ivan Tony for that sort of game and a half that he missed. I'm going to say 2-0 Norwich, though. Uh, moving onwards um, to Wednesday night's action at six o'clock. This is on Sky Sports Premier League, and it is Burnley, Sean Dyche's Burnley in 15th, taking on Leicester City in third, six o'clock kickoff, as we say. Uh, Now I'm going to go for a 3-0 Leicester win. Burnley, they got hit by four against Spurs, and I think Leicester, even though they've got all their injuries and what have you, I think Burnley will be no match for Leicester. So 3-0 for me.
3: Connor? Streaky Burnley. I think um, Mm. they've, you know, they've, they're on a great run of form when they won that 3-0 win at Palace was a particular highlight. And then they've played Fulham, West Brom, Tottenham. They've picked up two points from those games. They're absolutely abject at the weekend. Um, But they also, they tend to follow up bad runs by going on good runs. Um, So... Fingers crossed for them that happens. Um, I'm not really basing it off that, though. I'm basing it more off the fact that Leicester look drained, and it's understandable they've got so many injuries, they're struggling physically, uh, and I think they'll probably just get turned over by Burnley, who will obviously be right up for it. I know it's a bit of a cliche. Um, But I suppose they're going to be a little bit worried, glancing over their shoulder a little bit. They've got to play at a high intensity to to pull themselves away from Fulham, Burnley to sneak this one. So 1-0 one Leicester. Uh, oh, did you, did you sorry, say? 1-0 one, one
2: Burnley, yeah. 1-0 Burnley, sorry. 1-0 uh, Burnley for Connor and Chappers.
1: I'm going to go the other way. Uh, I'm going to say 1-0 Leicester. I think despite, uh, sorry, as a result of Leicester's injuries, um, I think it'd be fairly tight. I think after a 4 nil defeat of the weekend, Burnley... Might struggle in this one at 1-0 Leicester, but I do think it'd be very close and I think it really could go either way and probably just by a goal. So 1-0 the other way in Leicester's
2: favour for Chappers. And uh, next up is Bristol City in 11th in the Championship up against Bournemouth in 5th. Obviously, Nigel Pearson now in charge at Ashton Gate. This is on the red button, which I will actually try out, uh, well, tonight and tomorrow night uh, to see if it works for me. Uh, But it's a 7.45 kickoff. Uh, Connor.
3: Yeah, this is a tough one because it's a Bristol City side who have been absolutely horrific. And then Nigel Pearson's come in and he seems to have had a very good short-term impact. And we saw a very similar situation emerging at Watford where He turned them from a a team that were just getting beaten every week to a team that were probably sort of mid-table standard under him, maybe even higher at first. Um, It's a Bournemouth side. I'm not really too convinced by Jonathan Woodgate's credentials as a manager. Not really sure what the overall strategy is there. No doubt they've got some excellent players, um, but I think a resurgent Bristol City under Nigel Pearson will come out on top here and win by two goals to nil. So a 2-0 Bristol City victory for Connor. Uh,
2: now, myself, I'm going for a 2-1 to Bristol City. Like we say, Nigel Pearson, he knows what he's doing. And I think Bournemouth, albeit they got that victory over Watford at the weekend, it was uh, well, it was in quite controversial circumstances, if you take into account uh, Jefferson, Lermo, and a bit of dark arts. Uh, so I'm going to say 2-1 Bristol City. Chappers.
1: To go for a bit of a, a golf fest here 2-2 um, for me Bristol City since Pearson's come in have won both their games 3-1 one of them was against Swansea which is which was an excellent result for them and the other one was against uh, Middlesbrough who are I, I generally find Middlesbrough lose or win there's n- never really an in-between they either lose quite comfortably or win quite comfortably but you know a good result for Bristol City Bournemouth you know very in different form the one at the weekend like you say against Watford um but then they lost the two games previous to that against Cardiff and QPR one against Rotherham but only one nil drew nil nil against Forest so and I, I agree with Con I don't think Woodgate's credentials are particularly outstanding Um, uh, having said that I think like I said there'll be quite a few goals in this 2-2 well you're right about the uh not drawing games they've won the f-
2: they've drawn the fewest games in the championship uh only drawn three games all season um, so Chappers is going for a 2 0 Bristol City victory. Uh, sorry, 2 2, I should say. I apologize, uh, reading the wrong one. And we'll finish up with Liverpool up against Chelsea on Thursday night. This is on Sky once again. It's fifth against sixth with the Blues one position above the Reds. 8 15 kickoff on a Thursday night. Connor,
3: yeah, muted there. Sorry, I'm going for 2 0 to Chelsea. Liverpool's struggles at home have been complete contrast to what they've been used to for the last few years. Uh they'll play against the Chelsea side who will test their defence. And I think even in snippet even in, in snippets against Sheffield United, we saw that Kabak and Phillips didn't look too confident. And I think against a better side, I think they'll probably come unstuck. Um the front three hasn't been firing as much as um as much as what we usually see from them. So I, I, I fancy Chelsea to pile on the misery here 2 0. Connor, once again, copying my answers,
2: or am I copying his? Well, I'm also going 2-0. Liverpool, with their injury crisis, uh, I think they'll be lucky to to keep a clean sheet or even keep it down. You asked questions about Chelsea and uh, and their goal-scoring prowess, but I think they can stick a couple past the Reds. 2-0 Chelsea for me, and Chappers, to finish us off.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I think this will be a... I'm going to go 1-1 for this one, um... Chelsea have very rarely scored um, more than one or two goals um, in, well, this year, really. Um, they, they've either, I think they've scored one goal in the majority of them, scored two in a couple um, and and even, you know, not scored any in one or two. So they're, they're not particularly affluent in goals. Um, but yeah, I, I'm going to go 1-1. I think even though Liverpool's defensive partnership is is a bit, while well, centre-half partnership is a bit makeshift, I think they'll get something out of this. Um, yeah, 1-1. 1-1 for Chappers. And uh,
2: that's almost about it from Football Forum tonight. Just before we go, time for the quiz question. And uh, it was about the 75-76 season. Big thank you to Peter A. Lehman on Twitter who uh, who has done all these stats. Um, so we're looking for the total amount of uh, defeats that Sheffield United and Wednesday had um, away from home in the 1975-76 season. Any guesses, gentlemen?
3: I'm going to say 42. I'm saying 35. Um
2: 42 out of 44 games is a bit optimistic, Chappers. It's
3: well, I-, I thought if it were optimistic. a season... Optimistic? Pessimistic, surely. Well, pessimistic. <laughs> <laughs> neither, you, neither of you are right, I will tell you that. Am I, am I too high there, too low? Uh
2: yeah, you're both too high. Okay. 29. Chappers has got it spot on. Yes,
3: 29. <laughs> 29
2: Absolutely. away losses. Um, well, I think
3: I win because my initial answer were closer, surely. Ah, I disagree.
2: <laughs> well, I will tell you, obviously, Wednesday won none away from home all season. Uh United only won two away from home all season. It was an absolute dire record. Uh, and for both clubs, well yeah uh absolute disaster 62 points in total for both teams combined that entire season so uh, out of 88 games it was an absolute nightmare uh but there you are that's a lot from football forum uh well done to chappers for getting the quiz question right uh, he's had a double this week he's got unpredictable and the quiz question let's see if he can do it again next week um and we are back well we're not back next week we're back on thursday to bring you reaction from tomorrow night's games between United and Villa and uh, Wednesday against Rotherham remember our Darren Moore reaction special uh, that'll be out tomorrow or in your podcast provider on Wednesday so for me Chappers and Connor and all the team here on football forum we will see you on Thursday take care good night
3: shoe radio it's beautiful
0: Bringing you the latest football news from Sheffield and beyond. This is Shoe Football Forum.